You're listening to a Radio Stockdale podcast. Podcasts that are inspiring, interactive, and feature various discussions of leadership, ethics, and law. Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 2010 film Centurion. So this film takes place during the height of the Roman Empire, and they are now during their conquest of Britain. Mm-hmm. And it's their main... Uh, the main group of people they are fighting are the Picts. Yeah, which are basically Scots. One of, it's the Ninth Legion are really leading this charge, and we follow mainly one soldier whose name is Quintus Dias. Mm -hmm. And during one night, his camp is completely annihilated, except for him because he can speak the Pict language. So they decide to torture him and interrogate him. He doesn't give them anything. But eventually he escapes and he runs into another garrison headed by Verilus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a general. general. And he's been given this you know, mission particularly to clear out this area. And um, he is given help by a picked scout named Etain. She's a scout. She's very. She's a good warrior, but her tongue has been ripped out, so she cannot speak. But yeah. all her other senses are good. She can see everything. She can hear everything. Right. And smell everything. So he reunites with them. They go on a mission, but she leaves, and then that group is ambushed, and Verilis is captured, and once again, Dias manages to escape. He survives. He's by being buried, he's wounded, and he just gets buried under this mass of dead bodies, but he's still alive. And after the end of the battle, a handful of other Roman soldiers escape. Yeah, the Picts, they're ambushed, right? The ambush scene's kind of neat. They're uh, very unadvisedly going down a trail in formation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I keep thinking of the old joke about the the Redcoats during the... um, American Revolution, making it very convenient for the uh, revolutionaries uh, marching in formation with bright red uniforms on, make make some easy targets. And these guys are doing the same thing. They're all in armor, but they're going down this kind of this valley, this path that's in a valley, and either side of it are all these pits, and they, you know, they roll down flaming uh, balls of flammable material. It's a big battle scene, and Nobody, not very many people are left. Like you said, just a handful of Romans survived yes, this, and, and the picks move on. And the big reels, those picks were led by Etain. She was yes. double-crossing the Romans. Yes. But Quintus Dias and a handful of others survive, and they go try to save Verilus. He's being tortured. Mm-hmm. And eventually they make their way to the camp, but they're not able to break break the chains. Right. And so they keep trying, but the... Picks are coming back, uh, but they, he tells them to just leave them, and they go. So basically, their next mission is just to go find, get back to friendly territory. They're behind right. enemy lines. Yes, 
and Verilis is killed by Etain, and they, the leaders of the Picts tell her why her tongue she can't speak is because her tongue was ripped out by the Romans, her yeah. family was murdered, her mother was raped repeatedly as well as she was, and that was this was a way of her not being able to tell her story. Yeah. So they tell this to before they kill him. She gets the um, honor of killing him. Nobody else touches him. So they have a duel. She kills him. Now they're going to catch the remaining soldiers because one of them snuck into the camp of the commander of the Picts and killed the son right. before they ran away. So now they go back. Now they're being hunted by Etain. They, they have, eventually they have to split up. One of two of them are being chased by wolves. Right. One of them realizes that they're not going to. It's either one or all are going to get killed. So he wounds the other on purpose and yeah. lets him get eaten up by the wolves, and he escapes. Another three find their way into a hut lived in by this woman named Arian. She is part. Of, she's a native, she's part of the group, but she was exiled by the Picts because they think she practices witchcraft. Yes. But she's just more of just a regular old citizen. But she was also able to communicate Latin right. with the Romans because the, she could hear the camp and eventually she was able to understand the language. Her and Quintus Dias form a connection and a relationship. Um, Etan enters the area, but they're not they're able to she's able to yeah. hide them right she hides them down below in kind of a root cellar of her uh fairly accurate uh, accurately uh uh portrayed um uh picked shelter from that mm-hmm. time period it's kind of a kind of a yurt right and there's a root cellar and they unconvincingly i think in terms of uh, Etain's alleged uh tracking abilities she doesn't she doesn't get suspicious that they're underneath her. I think if she was that good at tracking, yeah, she can she smell would anything have. out. Right. Like she would be able to find them. She's yes. the best of the best. She would be able to find them. Yes. But anyway, they escape. They leave, and they find this fort. But the fort is no longer occupied because the so they're now everybody is pulling out of that area right. farther along. Yeah. So they've even left a note behind. Yes. Yes. And then the pick. So, but the picks are there, and they realize, well, we're just tired of running. We make our final stand here. Yes. So big battle. They're able to hold them off. Only Quintus Dias again is the last survivor, but he kills everybody, including Etain. Yes. And well, it's all no, it was him and another guy. The two of them survive. Yes. And they finally make it to the camp, but. They're wearing picked clothes. Yes. One guy's so desperate just to meet friendly soldiers, he forgot to forget to take them off. Right. He gets runs toward yeah. now. What they're running Hadrian's Wall, right? So uh, you know the the story is that the Romans discovered that, that they had stretched their uh, supply lines and troops too long and too thin. So uh, they they they. Um, do a tactical retreat and eventually build Hadrian's Wall, uh, parts of large parts of which are still there in, in Britain. Uh, and he's getting excited, right? Because he is seeing he, he is seeing Romans, and he kind of loses his caution. And you're right, he as he runs toward the fort, they think it's it's a picked a and they picked or mown down with the arrows, right? And he sh- dies, right? And at that same time, that other survivor who left the other guy to the wolves, he they run up to him, but 
Dias figures out what he did. Yes. And the other guy tries to stop him, knowing that he's going to turn him in, but there's another fight. Dias is able to kill him, and Dias makes it back to the uh, the fort, and he's the only survivor of the Ninth Legion. Yes. And he meets the main senator who's overseeing the operation, and he tells him, You'll be a great hero, you're a great hero. We'll welcome you back to Rome, and they're preparing him a feast. But they realize that this is an embarrassing military defeat. They can't have anybody else speak. They're going to erase the Ninth Legion from the records completely. And so they're going to have to kill him. But right. Dias is able to escape. And he makes it back. After yet another fight. Yeah, after yet another fight. <laughs> makes it back to Ariane, her yes. little hovel. And he's supposed to happily be with her. But the Ninth Legion has been completely erased and that's the end of the oh, movie the story yeah and to be perfectly honest this didn't quite do it for me as a film there I, I learned a few interesting things i didn't know this whole thing about how the ninth legion is there's a, still this mystery Big about mystery, what happened yeah. to them and what happened but yeah. census opinion amongst historians is that the, m- most of them i should say do believe that they uh uh were wiped out, disappeared in Britain. Although I was reading up on this, there, there are some people that think they actually survived this. The Ninth Legion actually was formed during the uh, reign of Julius Caesar. And by the time this story is going on, it's roughly 880, 80 to 100 AD, somewhere in there, uh, they're fighting the Brits. So it's been around a long time, very successful unit. And uh, one one theory is it actually did survive this. It's just a scarcity of records, and they actually went to fight in other parts of uh, Europe and Germany and France, um, present day Germany and France. Um, but I think it's still the uh, belief uh, with most historians that know know something about this that they did uh, they did disappear somewhere in present day Scotland as they were attempting mm-hmm. to. Uh, uh, solidify their position in, in Britain. And doing interest reading about this is that this whole mystery was really revived in 1954 by a book called The Eagle of the Ninth by Rosemary Sutcliffe. And this really f- kind of brought the story of the lost Ninth Legion to light into popular culture. Yeah. Getting back to the movie, like we talked about it, like, oh, another action scene, another action scene. It's that's what it really suffered from. I mean, I've seen Quentin Tarantino movies. I've seen Takashi Miike films, yeah. which take violence to a whole new level. <laughs> but this one, the violence was just, I, I wouldn't even say like over the top to a part where it's just kind of tiring. Like specifically that ambush scene. It's like nearly every cut yeah. is a decapitation or a head being. Or, or blood. Yeah. CGI blood. You can yeah, and it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't look So it's real. not even like being oh, this is really realistic. I mean, yeah. yeah, those weapons were deadly. A lot of that stuff did happen. But it just got to be tiresome and over-the-top. and Kind of over-the-top and almost... Gratuitous um, a bit, too. Almost comic. Yeah, that's it, ta- know, it takes it away almost, the seriousness of yeah, it. Yeah. Where in a Tarantino film, it's never 100% too seriously, and it's very stylized, so you can understand it. But this one, it's trying to be this intense you know, battle movie, and it just gets tiresome. Yeah. The presentation and, you know, doesn't work. My, my impression of the it, it was a decently uh, modern B-movie. It struck yeah, it's very me as a B-movie. B-movie. Um, and, you know, it, 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 as such, it was entertaining. Uh, 
Um, and I, I did honestly find myself struggling to find heavy, deep philosophical themes in it. This, yeah, me too. I was watching. It's like, are we really going to be able to talk 30 minutes about this movie? Yeah, this is no Ingmar Bergman film, for yes. sure. There's no ponderous What's You know, sometimes movies do go over the top with the ponderous. Well, this one certainly doesn't do that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think it... it one of the things I kind of like about it is it, it does portray uh, a little bit of the camaraderie that develops in this small group because they are stuck behind enemy lines and they have no choice but to try and extricate themselves from it. And there's some dynamic between the characters and you see a, a very stark uh, portrayal of how foolish it is to do something that isn't for the good of the group and how permanently that will scar the level of trust that you will uh, receive and actually never receive again is actually the accurate way to put it once you do that. And that's in that, in that, uh, in the case of that character named, uh, Macros, he's the one at some point when they are, you know, running and, and the man who's injured, Brick, remember he's injured and, and, and uh, uh, Macros comes up to uh, Dias and he says, look, give me the word. Anytime you want, give me the word. I'll take care of him, which he means he's going to kill him. Right. And he's stained with distrust at that from that point forward and it, it it ends up coming back to bite him in that scene where uh the, the man he's with as they're trying to flee the wolves realizes you know it's going to either be one or the other of us oh i happen to be with this guy that was willing to kill one of our guys guess what i'm going to kill him because uh doing that i'll be able to escape yes it uh impacts him in turn uh, when, uh, toward the end of the film, uh, Diaz realizes what he did and they have, that, they have that confrontation. So it's a very unforgiving environment with that small unit. You cannot do that uh, and hope to be trusted again and, uh, most pressingly, uh, hope to survive if push comes to shove because they realize, you know, he, they, they come to realize too late that, you know, once you've betrayed that trust, not shown that loyalty, you've exposed yourself. You've kind of, uh, uh forfeited your right to the same kind of a treatment, uh, uh, that, or you forfeited your right to the, uh, uh, same kind of protection and, uh, um, aid uh, that the entire group would have given each other in normal circumstances. It's not forgivable. And they learn that. So I kind of like that. And I, and I kind of li- like some of the uh, 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 dialogue between the ki- those characters. I could have used more fire. of that. Cause they you don't, yeah, they you don't really get to know that there's that one scene at the campfire where they're telling each other their names i liked one of them i forget his he has this very goofy name brick brick that's yeah. the guy he goes oh yeah my mom was a real comedian <laughs> right it, it was but like that's, says, that one so that's scene. why they call me because it's this nice long horrible yeah. 
thanks, mom, you know, for the, for the, yeah, they don't develop that anymore. And, you know, again, maybe we're expecting too much of it. it this thing sets out, I think, to just be a B movie. Yeah, which is but, fine, but but you know I've seen other B movies. I mean, we, we talked we talked about one with the uh, steel helmet, steel it was helmet, Korean War it, film. It, it did it wonderfully, yeah. and this one had the opportunity to do that same thing, and it, it kind of passed on it. And like you said, the, the choice was made, and pretty obviously early and often, to make this thing uh, a uh, a uh, kind of a gory comic book. Uh, uh, action film. Yeah, and the director of this movie is he. Does, he's more no more in the horror genre. His big hit was The Descent, about these people who go in this cave and these creatures attack. In that element, the horror works more. Yeah. Now he also directed two big battle episodes of Game of Thrones, where these two big episodes was nothing but a battle. Yeah, and I think that that is why maybe something like this would work, but he's using that horror element of violence yeah. where it works better in horror. And this one, it just looks comical and kind of it's silly. Kind of silly. Yeah. And, and he, and again, he's, he's trying to mix in a little bit more character development. Doesn't really do it. And there's a, an element too of, I guess, commentary on the use of power, uh, that they again, miss on in the character of attain. It's a fair, fairly powerful scene where they're about the the pits are about to execute Verilus and and let Etain do it. Right? They explain to him why she is the way she is, not only being mute but just being consumed with the need for vengeance. Right? And and and, and they're pointing out to the Romans, look, you guys did this. You killed her family. You raped her mother. You raped her. Uh, this is why the way she is the way she is. Are you guys actually any better than us pits? You know, you use the same means we do. Well, at least we have the excuse that we're doing this in reaction to what you guys did. Um, they don't really, again, develop that either. Mm-hmm. And that that's just an interesting dynamic in British history anyway. And there's a, an analog in American history anyway. The Brits are very proud of their Roman heritage. But then again, there is this. Yeah. It's, this is a British movie. It yeah. stars all. I mean, they're Romans, but all the Romans are playing British actors I'm with a, British accents. Yeah, as it's like, is like, Oi, Gov, I'm from Rome, or something like <laughs> yeah. that. But it's it's just strange because in also the the good versus evil in this movie. You when you especially when you hear Etain's story, she always feel like wouldn't she be the protagonist? Yeah, this woman who had this horrible thing done to her has now become this badass warrior, and she wants revenge on the yeah. Roman Empire. Yeah, but the Romans are she's considered the villain, and when they defeat her at the end, that's considered a big triumph. And I, it's just strange because this is well, a British. I, I don't, I don't, I don't even think that it's, it's. I don't think it's portrayed as a triumph. I, I think they're trying to. They're well, at least for to, Quintus Dias, he escapes. Yeah, but had, but then again, Rome is reflected in a very bad light at the end. Right? They're going to yes. cover this sucker up. They're not going to let anybody know what what the hell happened here. We've got political considerations in mind. We have to take into account, especially since we've had to retreat back to Hadrian's Wall. For goodness sakes. Hey, we got to keep things under control here, right? So we're going to sweep this sucker under the rug. So it's a very realistic portrayal of, as it were, the, the cynical side of Ro- Roman geopolitical behavior, right? So 
I think the film overall is just saying, look, you know, if you look at the actual history here, there aren't any clear good or bad guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you if you want to look for some way or another to make a judgment as to uh, the the final outcome of this, I mean, you can say that in the long run, uh, the Romans did help civilize Britain. They'll admit that. But they also will point out, you know, you didn't want to be one of these tribes <laughs> in Britain at that time fighting these these guys because they would cynically manipulate, they would uh, behave ruthlessly, right? And, and there was a tit-for-tat going on for uh, centuries, decades. Uh, uh, a, a, a famous folk hero in, in Britain is Queen Boadicea. She led a revolution uh, of uh, various tribes against the Romans and was fairly successful, but ultimately did not uh, win, right? And paid the price for not winning. And so did all these other tribes. So you had this kind of, you know, elements of the stereotype are true, uh, ruthless Roman um, uh military doing its best to uh, subjugate this area of the world uh, and in so doing paradoxically uh, introducing elements of civilization to that world that may never have been introduced otherwise so you have a very interesting question there in the long run despite the cruelty uh, was it worth it and I don't know how this movie could have explored that question but i think it could have and that would be a very interesting film to watch we that whole issue it reminds me a little bit of a film we talked way back a a western was hostels because one of the things the main commander who's been this long grizzled veteran of the indian wars rumored to have done some uh, committed some atrocities towards indian tribes he, one of the books he reads is from Caesar during his conquest of Gaul. Yes. So you can even make, you know, the Roman Empire is the American cavalry and the Picts and the other tribes or the Native American exactly. tribes yep. in the West. And they did a very good job, I think, in that film, uh, making you think seriously about that uh, question with regard to American expansion. As is uh, the case in most episodes of history that involve such expansion. Um, there, it's a complicated story. It's a sloppy story, and uh, there are warts in the civilization that does the expansion. But you have to take into account that, along with the warts, are certain better things that were brought about because of that. And I think Hostiles does a better job with that uh, uh, kind of playing around with that uh, dichotomy. Uh, this one doesn't try. I mean, it, 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 it misses the mark again, but again, maybe it's not setting out to do that. It's just setting out to be a uh, an adventure film. I, I think that's the big thing about this. There's a term for these kinds of movies. They're called sword and sandal films. Yeah. Probably the most notable one came 10 years before this with Gladiator, the one that won Best Picture. Now, there is a lot about 
you know, a Russell Crowe's character. He was this former general. Yeah. Um, he refuses to go with this uh, Joaquin Phoenix character's uh, plot to kill his father and take over control. Yeah. And that he's left out and be- has to become a gladiator. But that is you. Mostly everybody remembers about that movie are the big gladiator fights. The one sure. scene where he's got to fight the tiger and all those great battles. And it's a good movie. I'm yeah. not saying it's bad, but that is definitely hopping on that and being more of a sword and sandal and gladiator wasn't the first those go back to like the early 60s and there was i mean italy made a lot of sword and sandal movies sure they did yeah sure they did you know and i guess that's all it was setting out to do but you, you always you always want i think at least i find myself wanting this uh films that are explore the the uh roman empire uh you want them to ask, you wanted them to ask those questions about Roman civilization in some way or another, uh, you know, uh, contrasting the, uh, as it were, service to history that it did, the civilizing service it did, with the uncivilized means they sometimes used to do it, and uh, this this film doesn't do that. Um, Gladiator does it to some extent, I think, because um, uh, it's it's a kind of a, a meditation upon an examination of that decadent period uh, in you know the post republic phase of Rome. There, there were some horrible uh, Nero among them, horrible um, emperors in that time period that made contemporaries think very carefully and hard about uh, the value of the empire when it is run by people that are so decadent. A lot of the Stoic philosophers were around at times when, uh, you know, there were, uh, to say the least, shady emperors like Nero. And some of them even served Nero, for goodness sakes. And they knew the dichotomy between kind of the, the good side, the good face of Rome, the civilizing face of Rome, and that more barbaric side of it, the exercise of power and the way they thought they had to exercise power in order to maintain that civilization. And you kind of see them lose their way when they move away from being a republic to being basically dictatorships, a series of dictatorships of different uh, emperors. And uh, in the person of Marcus Aurelius, that is really interesting because he was an emperor, but he also was a philosopher, and he thought long and hard about civilization and civilizing aspects of Rome and how they were falling short and uh, uh, what ma- ma- maintenance of an empire entailed. You know, He, he would literally write some of his um, meditations on campaign. Uh, th- Again, this is just such a natural theme when you're thinking about the Roman Empire, and it's a natural parallel theme for us Americans because we're kind of in a similar position, being the dominant power in the globe today, Uh, not only because of our power, but because of our military power and economic power, but because of our cultural influence. that's why I think there's a resonance there. And, and, and even in, in the case of Britain, same thing. They're very influential in the history of the world. So you, you kind of hope when Americans and Britons make films about mm-hmm. the Roman Empire, they would help us kind of see these parallels or at least explore the parallels. Um, 
And you don't see that in the sword and sandal epics. You just don't. Yeah, and even the more notable, I wouldn't say these are sword and sandals, but like in the late 50s, early 60s, you had the big Roman epics. Yeah. Ben-Hur is probably the most famous. That has the religious angle to it, too, but that also does not portray, I would say, the Romans in a very positive Positive light. light. Yes. And, you know, then you had Stanley Kubrick with Spartacus, that is about the slave revolt and the standing against Roman slavery. Yeah. And then you talk about emperor decadence. This is a movie I don't think anybody should ever see under any circumstances, (laughs) but the 1979 movie Caligula. And that film is about the the horrible excesses of that emperor. Yeah, yeah. And that one actually was just an excuse to do... uh... (laughs) To a pornographic yeah. film. That just happened to yeah. have Peter O'Toole, Jean Gilgood, Helen Mirren, yeah. and Malcolm McDowell. They got conned into that How movie. did they ever get talked into doing I don't, that I think film? The, that is an utter mystery to me. The uh, other scenes, they were filmed when they weren't there without their knowledge. Oh, this was, just it was cleverly that, edited together to make it look make like, it look they like they're in the same oh. place. Yeah. No, I did not know that. Yeah. I think Gilgood, like, dis, Gilgood... Uh, Disowned it. Gore Gore Vidal wrote the screenplay, but when he figured out what the movie was really going to be, he disowned it. Wow! Yeah, so it's a <laughs> that's that's a mess right there. Yeah. yeah. But uh, okay, getting close to the end of my questions here. Is there anything else you want to bring up? Um, there have been other movies I've noticed uh, about this time period, particularly the British occupation. Mm-hmm. I know a King Arthur movie came out like almost 20 years ago but it takes place during this time i believe interesting no i didn't know about and that. i know there is a show going on on epics the channel epics now i think it's called britannica it's particularly about that time period looking at the british tribes i guess we'll have to look at them i haven't seen that one either but um those are two that are come to my mind yeah and and i i, I don't know i'll just find myself maybe repeating myself uh, you know uh it it seems to be the case that this film, along with some of the others we discussed, you know, it kind of just indulges, as it were, the trope, the negative side of the Roman Empire and uh, the post-Republican era. Um, it would be interesting to see a film that, as it were, comes from the inside, explores that dichotomy between the civilizing. Uh, aspects that Rome did provide Britain and other parts of the world uh, uh, contrasted with the brutal methods they sometimes used. Um, I, I'd like I'd like to see a more balanced portrayal because that's in Hollywood it's typical the Romans tend to be the bad guys, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and that that's a part of part part of that I think is just from the fact that. Um, uh, uh, works like Ben Hur got very popular, right? And the fact that early in its history, uh, the Roman Empire did um, uh, persecute Christians, right? But people also can't conveniently forget the Roman Empire adopted Christianity basically as the official religion <laughs> after a while. And uh, uh, the combination of the two, again, had a civilizing uh, uh, influence in Europe, I think. Um, I don't know. I don't, maybe I'm just complaining as a somebody that's kind of a amateur history. Buff. I mean, what have the Romans ever done for us? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, maybe Monty Python, they, they made a very good point there, you know. I love that scene. Mm-hmm. But, um, 
it would be interesting, I think, to have some kind of a film that explores in the character of its main character, perhaps. Maybe in the way, in the way Gladiator does, to some extent, that dichotomy. A, a, a movie about Marcus Aurelius would be fantastic for that reason. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale, where you can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and a Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, which episode I dedicate to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at thesoundofcinema.automatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying, Ave, true to Kaiser. <laughs>